You're listening to The Loke Show, presented by Smartling. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Loke Show. I'm your co-host, Adrian Cohn with Smartling, and it is a pleasure to be here again with you today. Uh, Today, we're going to play a recording of one of our sessions from Global Ready Conference, which was on April 14th, 2021. Um, All of the the entire conference is now available on demand at smartling.com slash conference. And today, we're going to bring one of those sessions to you here via the podcast. And that session is called The 411, What We Need from a Language Services Provider. Gavin Grimes, who's the Vice President of Language Services at Smartling moderates the panel featuring Nancy Ferreira of FedEx and Emil Atanasov of ServiceNow. And they're going to talk now about the future of language services. Let's dive in. My name is Gavin Grimes and I'm VP for language services here at Smartling. Uh, Thank you all for joining, which I trust is going to be a quite insightful, if compact session today on the evolution of language programs uh, to align themselves with the different stages of growth from their respective companies. That growth could come from organic growth, could come from acquisition growth. I think as an industry, we talk an awful lot about the origins of localization programs and then the fully formed program. But the interesting journey is something that happens in between. It's very rarely a straight line. It kind of meanders its way to success. And that's through a series of wrong decisions and good decisions. And I'm really honored and and, and uh, really, really uh, proud to have two kind of leaders in that, in, in, in that space joining me today to talk about their respective journeys and their companies. I'm joined by Nancy Ferreira de Rocha, who's Senior Localization Program Manager with FedEx, and she's based in Amsterdam. And I'm also joined by Emil Atanasov, and he's Vice President for Internationalization at ServiceNow, and he's based in Dublin. So first of all, thank you both so much for joining me. You're very, very welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Gavin. Of course. So we're going to dive right in. We're going to keep it quite, quite, quite compact today. And maybe, Nancy, to you firstly, um, let's talk about how did your lock program evolve to serve the growth of FedEx over the last number of years? Oh, well, it's been five years for me. I joined the company five years ago. And actually, I didn't join FedEx. I joined a company called TNT, which right. uh, was also a large player in, uh, in the logistics um, uh, landscape, let's say. And I joined the um, uh, in a digital team within TNT. And we were this team that was uh, commissioned with digitizing or preparing uh, to, to do the digital transformation of TNT as a company. But uh, at the same time, when I joined a couple of months later, uh, it was announced that we were acquired by, by FedEx, which is obviously um, one of the logistic, the big, biggest logistic um, companies in the world. So our scope was basically had to shift because of that. So what started as a very curated program focused only on the 
digital department of TNT and starting small and having kind of an agile MVP mentality, uh, had to soon grow to, to support, uh, well, one of the biggest, um, corporations, uh, in the world. So, so yeah, it's, uh, it, it has been, it has been, um, a roller coaster, certainly not a straight line. Um, we've made a lot of changes. Uh, we've set up a good foundation, uh, but we're always, uh, you know, open to grow and to change depending on uh, the needs of the company. Very good. Maybe, Emil, same question to you about the evolution of your lock program at ServiceNow. Yeah, so ServiceNow has been doing localization for a long time. Uh, I, I think 12 years by now. So I've been with the company about three years. At one point or another, there was, you know, a very intellectually honest looked into the organization and we said, hey, what can we do better? And how do we need to bring that to a professional level? So some bits and pieces that were actually going well, we kept and then others we involved. So as I mentioned, about three years within the company, I got hired to actually bring this organization to that next level and to provide that thought leadership. But we had the purpose since day one. Things were working. You know, it wasn't like they were broken stuff. Whoever designed the platform, our, our founder, Fred Lodi, uh, and others that have designed the platform had thought about it. It was something that they had provisioned. You know, we didn't have UTFA challenges. We didn't have anything of that nature. So um, very manual process, a lot mm -hmm. of heavy lifting, and probably less attention to detail and to that big vision that we want to delight our customers and we want to provide this amazing experience. So yeah, over the last three years, we looked at moving away from you know, a somewhat manual process. The evolution became then more automated TMSs, but we also looked at enabling our developers to yeah. be successful in that journey. So we work with a lot of automation. We look, we look at a lot of testing aspects. So the reality is it was there, it was working. We just had to make it world-class and we had to make it to that enterprise level. You know, enterprise software is not the most exciting field. You know, it's not the consumer stuff where you get the, uh, you know, a lot of fast moving pieces. But um, I feel we have established that purpose. Uh, everybody in the team, everybody in the organizations knows, hey, the purpose is we have to make user experience in English better, in other than English equal or better of that in English. So it starts with a purpose, probably going to end with a purpose on the road too, but that's, that's the evolution for us, Gavin. Fantastic. I, I think, you know, I talk to a lot of localization program owners and, and leaders, and I think a large part of their role is uh, educating and educators, internally educators and evangelizing the needs for localization. But I'm, all, I'm always interested about, and, you know, in continuation to, to both of your responses on the evolution, the, the data points that drove the evolution and um, how they were developed and maybe what teams internally did you work with to form and strategize this, uh, your programs? And maybe, Nancy, you could you could talk about how the, what that looked like in FedEx firstly, and then I'll, I'll throw the same question over to Emil, if that's okay. Sure. Um well, like like I said in the beginning, when we got started, um, our program was um, built to 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 serve the digital transformation of of TNT, and we had very specific um, targets or or like the things that we needed to tackle. And that was our website um, and uh, our online. Uh, 
uh, tools uh, for our customer to book uh, their shipment and manage their shipments, uh, especially for B2B businesses. So uh, we, the team was like building a booking tool from scratch and we needed to uh, make a new website that would fit that look and feel. So it was very specific. Um, and when they started looking or, or thinking about this change of design and, and, and even way of thinking like more customer centric, they thought, oh yeah, we, we need to, 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 uh, to take into account, uh, the customer, uh, feedback and we need to take into account, um, you know, go faster to market and all of that. But hmm, we do, we, we do need to do this in 39 languages and there was no one there. So that's one. I was hired, but I had a very specific product that I needed to improve. That was a website on our booking tool. And then uh, that was successful. We were running a very successful uh, small little project. And then when the FedEx acquisition came to play, uh, the FedEx team was also trying to uh, modernize and professionalize their uh, localization efforts uh, specifically for uh, their also their applications uh, and later on their website. So they look at to what we had achieved, especially in terms of turnaround times and on control of data. Um, and they like what they what they saw. So we we were able to with this little was not intended like that, but it ended up being an MVP, what we did at TNT. Um, uh, we, we had enough data to show that if everyone would uh, jump on the same train, let's say, so to say, they would get the benefits of a centralized uh, model, mm -hmm. uh, localization model. So that was, uh, yeah, basically how, how things started to get traction. Um, yeah, <laughs> to a point that now it's like, maybe we need to <laughs> slow down a bit because we cannot serve okay. some people at the same time. But for sure, the success of this small project was very, uh, instrumental to what has become interesting yeah I, li I like that kind of starting small thinking big and yeah. Emil for you from it from a kind of a data point that drove the evolution perspective what did that look like in service now well we're one of the few organizations at service now that is probably true east to west we we mm -hmm. essentially are designed and tasked with servicing variety of stakeholders there Initially, we started with the basic items that everybody probably looks at usage. We try to, to measure which are the impactful languages. We also try to see, hey, what about a number of contractual obligations that we have to support specific language? So taking a step back, we took a lot of analytics. We were very fortunate to work for an organization that actually, because of being a platform, we have a variety of information data points, which we couldn't even dream of at the time, but we looked at the install base, we looked at the usage base, we're actually going a step further and saying, hey, in the previous release, we had this number of users, this release, we have this number of users, should we actually prioritize this language because we've lost few or we've gained few? Uh, we're trying to be very specific on that granular level of what parts of the platform are mostly utilized so then we can focus our testing efforts on them. Amazing analytics teams at ServiceNow, we have a variety of dashboards that literally every day number of times we can take a look at the installs, which would be like, hey, that's how many customers have it, the number of human beings that are using it. 
And then we also look at the different versions of the program because as we grew our team and as we expanded our offerings, we actually started translating more of our plugins, more of our applications. So the volume is, is, is just going up. But my question is always not about purely volume. My, my thought process is there's two things that we need to look at. One, are we giving our customers what they need? Do we have a usage there that we are not covering for? And two, are we translating stuff that we don't need? Because we all love the big programs. We all love that. Uh, you know, fame and fortune. But the reality is, if no customer is using it, let's focus our money on the stuff that the customers are using it. Last but not least, a bit like Nancy's story there, we actually now are providing, have been providing um, localization-specific efforts. A lot of our upfront internationalization work is product-related. But localization efforts across the board, legal, tax, compliance, Marketing also is being supported partially by us, the digital side there. We also have big events teamed that, well, we're not doing the work. There's still some, you know, thought leadership and, and that piece going there. So, Gavin, to answer your question, we support everyone that comes to yeah. us. In many cases, the answer is not right away, yes, we can do this. In many cases, is what are you trying to achieve? How are you going to measure it? And then maybe we actually lead the way, but we don't do it. Um, now, being very honest, in many cases, people just want somebody to do it. So then its answer is, no, we, we can't do it for, for a variety of reasons. But yeah, you have to look at the data points. You have to look at the usage. At the end of the day, we are responsible to our board of directors, to our stakeholders, to use our money the wisest way possible. So it's not about just adding languages and translating. It's about delighting and providing that user experience where it has to be done. Got so it. that's our, that's yeah, our that journey there. That that's great. I, I mean, I've spent my whole career on the on the LSP side, more or less, and I've I've worked with with, with both you guys, and I understand the focus you put on uh, developing LSPs as partners and extensions of your own team. But I'm wondering, um, in in line with the evolution of your lock programs, and even just the the, the kind of passing of time, um, how did your LSP needs, what you wanted from an LSP, evolve? Uh, to kind of align itself with your lock with your lock program's maturity, and um, Nancy, maybe we'll start with you on that particular one. Yeah, so I'm gonna go back to the starting point of all of this for me that yeah. I was like setting up the program for TNT. So I was lucky enough to have a blank slate. So there was not a, there was not an LSP that we had a very uh, long time relationship with. So I could go to an RFP and and choose our own um, uh, partner. And um, because we knew that we were going to work uh, a lot with agile teams uh, in the product side of things and that turnaround times and going with sprints or continuous uh, delivery was very, very important. We made sure that uh, our conversations with um, all the LSP candidates that we had during the RFP process um, were on the same line as we were. So uh, to say it plainly, uh, just just uh, call a spade a spade, is uh, we, we would not be able to pay minimum fee for every little drop uh, that we did for our releases. So we have like products that are... Mm, you know, the, uh, release new features on a weekly basis, sometimes bi-weekly basis. And um, some releases are like five words and some releases have like 200 words. So we needed an LSP that could 
cater for that without jumping the price. So that was a conversation that we had from the beginning before we even chose our our partner. Uh, And it was very important to us that this partner was open uh, to to, to think about a solution uh, for this type of, of situation. So that, that was, that was uh, one important thing. Um, and well, the, the, the evolution has been also in terms of type of content that we are um, uh, supporting. For example, it became really apparent that uh, for things like terms and conditions, uh, we really needed to have like specialized uh, legal translators. We also need to have need to have like a very specific and, and, and agreements about things like transcreation, uh, which don't happen that often, but, but it has happened, or for um, SEO purposes, these kind of things. And most recently, we started um, doing subtitling for some uh, videos that we have in a, in a new um, website called The Shipping Channel, theshippingchannel.com. You can, you can go visit this our uh, products and, and prides as well because it's it's kind of um, uh, a platform that um, answers the most questions asked questions uh, from shippers like you know when you want to send something to the United States what you have to take into account and we explain it in an easy to understand language through video because videos uh, you know like all this tutorial kind of content is really popular so having subtitles was some also something important. So, you know, the type of content has um, evolved, but for us was like from the get-go, the flexibility and that feeling that actually your render is on the same line as you are uh, is super important. I'm, I'm a firm believer that a good LSP is an invaluable partner uh, if you want to scale, especially if you are talking about a company the size of ours. Uh, we, we simply wouldn't be able to manage freelancers. Uh, it, it's not a possibility. It's not something we could do. And even having in-house translators for us would be a no-no because then, you know, we would become a translation agency and that's not our core business. Fantastic. How about you, Emil? How, how did how did the kind of LSP needs evolve as as your lock program evolved? Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to actually echo exactly what Nancy said there. Mm-hmm. Without the the LSPs, like I'm not gonna have a job. I'm probably gonna have they're gonna put somebody that recruits people and have to recruit yeah. 400 translators, put them in a desk, and you know it's more of like a workplace services type of a job versus being able to do what we do to focus on improving the the, pro, the product side and the process for the engineers and all that pieces. So um, two things that are super important in the relationship. First, you know, it has to be driven by training on both sides, mm-hmm. clear communication. We actually even last year with COVID hitting, we said, hey, guys, here's the full view of what we think is going to happen this year. So we're going to be super honest about and transparent in, in what is uh, what the situation is because I realize even if we hire four or 500 translators, what's the career path for them? How are we going to keep them? What, how are you going to measure it? Is it going to be productivity per word? And that goes totally counterintuitive to creating a culture of belonging when you know, we want these people to feel like we care about them. And then somebody says, well, you didn't translate 1,500 words. I mean, this it just doesn't work. So forget about it. We do have language leads to be transparent, and they do a tremendous job in relation to keeping terminology, IP compliance, driving some of those conversations 
um, you know, with LSPs, but the LSP trusted partner, and it must it must be somebody that we treat with respect. I, I, I hate the word buyer. Uh, like, uh, you know, for me, we're not buyers. We are basically fulfillers of whatever that we've been given, uh, in, you know, to, to uh, the, the linguists there out there. Uh, how, how did it evolve? Well, conversations. One of my biggest learnings is I come from the LSP side. I always thought that I enjoy working with clients that actually mm-hmm. talk to you and tell you what they want. Yeah. But in many cases, clients don't know what they want. So I've learned so much. I would have conversations with multiple people. Uh, from our LSP partners, and I, some of them I have regular quarterly checkups, other ones, you know, maybe biannual, but I talk to them, and I really want to learn, and I encourage everybody in the team to do the same. So, yeah, in many cases, there are things like, oh, but you do this? Oh, great, we need this. So talk to people, try to share more about your up-and-coming goals. Obviously, we're a public company. There's bits and pieces we can't share, new markets, yeah. etc. But thought process. How do you do that? How do you do this? Can you source for this? And the reality is, I don't foresee in any near future for us to say, hey, we're not going to use an LSP. That just, I, you know, maybe, maybe MT would be great three years from now. Maybe, who knows? I highly doubt it. I'm, I'm a bit, uh, I think we need more time for any of those other changes. So yeah, very much trusted partner. We like to ask them Hey, what are we doing well? What should we stop? What should we continue? What should we start? As you get in all those questions twice a year, we need to get that feedback because we're not perfect. We're human. Tell us when we are bad. Tell us when we can improve. Tell us when we are good. Like sometimes I want to hear that I'm good at something, you know, and I'm sure the team does too. So yeah, so that's the, that's the importance of an LSP trusted partner. These translators have a tough, tough job because it's subjective. Let's make life easier for them. That's my message, I guess. I think you've hit on something really, really. You both have, actually, that trusted partner. And that word partner is key for any successful lock programs because it's not just the internal. It's the external elements as well that make it successful. You talked about learnings there, Emil, and I'm always interested in, I always ask this question of people I talk to, and maybe, Nancy, I'll, I'll start with you. What, what are the three main things you've learned that, maybe people would be interested in, in, in that journey to get your lock program where it is now? Well, <laughs> it always <laughs> takes longer. It always takes longer than you think it would take. <laughs> that's, that's, that's one thing for sure. Like you will always underestimate uh, and you always think that, oh, this is easy. It, it's not going to be easy. Uh, it, you need to have a lot of patience. Uh, you need to, to reassess, constant, constantly reassess because maybe you have a big plan in your head, but then the reality hits and then you have to adjust. So you need to be open for, for changes and adjustments. Another thing that I learned is that people don't like to change. <laughs> Even when they tell you that they really need to change and they understand that the change is needed, people don't like it and and people will always default to what they're used to. So uh, that, that, that kind of... Um, it's, it, it's connected to what I said about be patient. So you, uh, I see my role as the person who would always reminds people why are we trying to change and what it is in there for them, why why this is actually something um, that is going to benefit us in the in the long run. Um, so yes, uh, those two, and then. Um, 
hire an engineer. <laughs> like really, uh, that was something that if I could do it all over again, I would actually start hiring someone with um, that is a more technically savvy than I am, yeah. um, because. You do need to do a lot of uh, technical integrations and you need to, to speak to developers. And even uh, like developers are, <laughs> I don't want to offend anybody, but they do are, they're a special kind. They, they have their own plan. And if you don't speak the same language, there is a very, very big chance that they're not going to understand what you mean. And they just want things to move on and they don't, they don't want any interu- interruption. And typically development teams see localization as a bottleneck. So that, um, a person with a technical uh, background in, in a localization team uh, is really, really important in order to make the program successful. Yeah, for sure. I think that, that last one will resonate with with lots of different uh, people for lots of different reasons. Emil, what about you? What are the three learnings that kind of uh, come top of your list over the last number of years? Yeah, I second the engineer part. I think we have we have a lot of them, but it, it makes sense, you know. Especially we sit within product, so we are part yeah. of the engineering organization. So it takes one, you know, to, to communicate to one. Um, three things for me: As establish the purpose of the team, as I mentioned earlier. You know, the, uh, with with ours, we we did that on day two, basically going in. Uh, the second piece is. We need to look at internationalization, globalization, localization, whatever term you want to use, with a slightly different angle. It has to be a, a quarter-carrying business unit. Like if you can establish at that point within the development of organization where there are numbers, where there are specific self-trainings, when you're looking at not purely the enablement, but the quarter-carry there, and it could be done through multiple ways. It could be done, hey, we have this customer that we only got because we're supporting these languages, or it could be hey, we had to go very fast with this application in this market, and, you know, it's that. So in any any organization, tie it up to revenue. You know, they, there's ways to do it. You just have to figure out the right ways. Yeah. Do it as early as you can in the conversation. The third learning is talk about, talk to, to not just clients, but maybe clients of clients or, or anybody that can provide feedback. Again, if an you know, there might be surprising benefits there, but one of the beliefs I have is that, for example, we, uh, sorry, it's more than belief, it's actually a passion of mine to prove mm-hmm. that it's correct, is usability. I don't right. want to measure localizations in terms pure, purely of quality, but I want to say, hey, can I get to the next screen? Can I complete my task? Can I learn about what Nancy said? How do I pack my, I don't know, Easter chocolate and it goes to the US? I don't know, is it just the chocolate allowed to go to the US or does mm-hmm. it reside just here? So, how do I complete a task? We use products to make our life easier or to do things that we cannot do, you know, manually or to, so efficiency, etc. Figure out that journey, figure out what that customer wants. But at the end of the day, there's something very important there that a customer doesn't think about localization. The internal team doesn't think about localization. They think about a product that should work. Just like in any other language, yeah. English is another language, make it work. And, and I know it's trivial to say, oh, you just make it work. You know, it's a lot more complicated than that. Uh, but that's the reality. Align it to numbers and then make it work. And then kind of in relation to that last question, what's the, and for people listening who are at different stages of their, of their journey, what's the one major thing you would have done differently? 
Uh, maybe Nancy, you could. We'll start with you on that one. I'm just. I know there's probably a long list, but what goes? What comes? <laughs> Oh, but the one major thing, if you had have come at it a different way, would have would have made your life a lot easier or would have made your program a lot more successful, quicker or whatever, whatever way you want to look at it. Yeah. So since we're focusing on LSPs and the relationship with the LSPs, I would definitely spend more time understanding the supply chain of my LSP. Um It, it, it is still a thing with a lot of LSPs that you know, the first contact you have is a production team or project manager, and then they will outsource your language to another partner of them. Sometimes it's a freelancer, but sometimes it's a smaller agency who in, in, in change have other <laughs> partners. So it can be quite a long supply chain and it shouldn't have an impact, but sometimes it does, especially when yeah. there is a, a complaint about quality and then finding digging deep into the supply chain. It, it can be daunting sometimes and you realize, wow, how many people are there in between? So that's definitely, definitely something um, I would do differently uh, choosing uh, the LSP. I mean, there's always ways to overcome that and, and like the relationship that we have right now with our LSP allows um of course, uh, communication with the translators that are actually doing the work. But yeah, I, I would have liked to know this beforehand uh, and it would even maybe a very big part of the decision making. Excellent. I think that transparency of supply chain is becoming more. Yeah, more yeah. For sure, because they are advocates of your brand. Hands, knowing how many hands uh, touch our files or 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 the tool uh, when when our uh, requests go out. For sure, I think that's I think that's a really good one. Emil, what about you? What comes top of your list? I, I make mistakes every day, so I think <laughs> yeah, you know it's it's like I do things twice. I think <laughs> somebody say twice a year I get stuff right. So. Um, I tell you, it's a very hard answer to give you just on one thing. But if there was one thing to focus on, I would have said very early within this journey, within this process, um, establish relationships that allow you to have hard conversations when you're going to say no. And those relationships have to be both internal and external because there's so many dependencies. And it's easy to just go and say yes to everything and and to be the, the, the good person for the moment. But intellectually honest feedback, intellectually honest conversations. Don't have, don't be afraid to rumble at each other for a bit. You know, keep it professional, keep it civilized, respectful, but have these conversations. I think that's one of my, uh, my learnings because when you're new to a company, especially fast-growing company like ServiceNow, you try to fit and you try to please. I would have changed that. I would have had some of those expectation settings a lot earlier. Because now it's a lot harder to say, well, I used to say yes to this, but now I have to say no because that's the reality. Um, and, and the same with LSP's relationships, like be more transparent on the quality issues. Uh, you know, there, there are bits and pieces there, but um, I would say communication. I, I, would, I would love to, to be much better at it. I would love to listen better, comprehend better. Maybe I've made that journey from point A to B where I've already decided what the outcome of point B is, <laughs> yeah. but how do I bring the people on the same journey that are, that are, you know, at different speeds at their own speed? So, uh, yeah, maybe it's more self-reflecting to me than anything else. That'll be my choice of one thing I could have done a lot better. 
I think that's I think that's a great way to, to finish that self-reflection. I want to thank you both so much. Uh, it was it was short, but I think we covered a lot of ground. I want to thank you for your honesty. I think you were both fantastic panelists, and and to everyone listening in, I hope you got something from it. Uh, this is just a, you know really for the beginning of conversations. I encourage you all to use the the breakout rooms and the virtual breakout rooms to uh, progress these conversations and talk about your journeys, the good and the bad. So with that, thank you all so much and uh, enjoy the rest of the day. Thank you for having us, Gavin. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you, Gavin. Hi, everyone. I'm delighted to be introducing our customer awards today. We're going to be awarding 10 different customers for their outstanding accomplishments and partnership over the past year. The customers are... The partnership award goes to the Butterfly Network. Butterfly has been a great partner to SmartLink. They participated on our podcast, The Logue Show. They've done a case study, uh, amazing video G2 review. Couldn't ask for better partners. And really, congratulations on this award and thank you for your partnership. And the collaboration award goes to Fitbit. Uh, I was so excited to hear this. It's just always looking for ways to let the technology do the heavy lifting for them. And for that, uh, they are not only great collaborators uh, as partners, uh, but also with technology and software as well. The Explorer Award goes to Provar. Provar has had an exciting first year exploring integrations, product features, and updates. We applaud their innovation and customized approach to localization. I'm so pleased to present the Partnership Award, which goes to H&M. They've done an incredible job rolling out their new H&M local site language and utilizing SmartLink's language services, professional services, managed services, and support team. I'm happy to present the Thought Leadership Award to Rover. Not only is Rover a great customer, but they've participated in our podcast, The Loke Show, a case study, and a number of webinars over the past year. We're so thrilled by their enthusiasm to share their thought leadership with the localization industry. Thanks, Rover. The Storyteller Award goes to Vitamix. As a longtime partner with SmartLink, they've willingly shared their story through video and our podcast. And the Global Phenomenon Award goes to Disney Streaming Services. Congrats, Disney. Thanks for your partnership. The Agility Award goes to Sum Up. In a year where the retail and hospitality industries were greatly impacted by the pandemic, Sum Up pivoted its business on a dime. Great work and congratulations. The Expansion Award goes to Workiva. They've launched five localized sites on the GDN and have piloted a machine translation and post-editing workflow for their Help Center content. Congratulations on your growth. I am super excited to present the Engagement Award today to Yext. Yext is a long-standing customer of SmartLink who is ever-growing and continues to expand with us. We even recently collaborated with them on a SmartLink connector for their customers. We're super grateful for Yex partnership as well as participation in our podcast, The Loke Show, and various case studies that we've been able to share with our customers. Uh, thanks so much for being a SmartLink advocate and congrats. 